Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Tunnel Vision. We had a little technical difficulties going in there. It looks like we're up on YouTube and Periscope. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, publisher of uscfootball.com. We got Keely Yor uh, in uh, in her home coming on. Hey, Keely, how you doing? Hello, hello. Glad to be here live uh, and having to, no problems so far. I didn't want to jinx it. I stopped myself because I don't. I hope I don't jinx it. <laughs> yeah, we, it was weird. We were like all connected, and we got uh, Shotgun Spratling as well. Follow him on Twitter at Shotgun SPR. Hello, Shotgun. Hello, guys. Good to see you again. Yeah, it's good to see you guys too. So we yeah we started the show and then we for for whatever reason the remote connections to both Keely and Shotgun just went out. I couldn't get them going. The only way I could get them going is restart the show. For Periscope and for YouTube, it kind of picked it back up. For Facebook, it stopped the feed, so apologize for that. So there'll be a quick, short uh, intro video on the Facebook page, but we'll upload the YouTube video, video there if you're a, a Facebook person. So, um, Keely, I don't know if you want to put on the Facebook comments, let people know, come to YouTube or something. Yeah, we'll do yeah, that, but, I'm getting there. But yeah, so we're going to have uh, well, great show for you today. We've got to talk about USC football recruiting. Uh, there's been this, you know, surge in recruiting with the new staff members and even with during the quarantine seeing a bunch of commitments and there's more on the way a lot of 24 7 sports crystal balls pointing towards usc so we're going to talk a, a little bit about that and the football recruiting because that's kind of the only thing that's going on right now football wise with <laughs> no spring football uh we keep asking the same question and there's more talk every week uh will there be actually be football in the fall so we'll talk about that uh, dan weber wrote an interesting piece about the usc football season didn't stop way back in 1918 during the Spanish flu that killed uh, a lot of people uh, in this country. So there, there was a little interesting uh, column about that. You can check that out on uscfootball.com. And uh, Keeley wrote a nice piece on the uh, Rose Bowl reaction from the 2006 Rose Bowl, the national championship game against Texas. I did not uh, rewatch that one, but a lot of people <laughs> did. A lot of the former players did and a lot of reactions. So we'll, we'll get all your reaction on that and talk about uh, that as well. Uh, I want to let people know right now, if you do want to become a member, uh, uscfootball.com, we're getting 50% off annual VIP memberships right now. So check it out. It only lasts till tomorrow. So uh, it's a great deal. There'll be a lot of recruiting information coming up. And once stuff goes back again, we'll have lots of analysis and things like that. So go to uscfootball.com and check that out. And we also have to wish, and I'm sorry, Shotgun, you're going to get, this is part of Keeley's present. You get edged out on this one. Happy birthday, Keely. I know you probably can't see it yet. We've got a Anaheim Angels cake up on the screen for you. So, Oh, I thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> is it here or here? It, no, no, the other side. The first you had it oh, right. Oh, thank you. This is so great. <laughs> yeah. It's what you can see on there. It says happy birthday, something that begins with a K, but it's not Keely. I just grabbed it off the internet, but it kind of looks like it could be happy birthday, Keely. Perfect. But, thank uh, you. Keely, happy birthday. We, uh, thank you. Kind of sucks to be, now. you know, birthday quarantine birthday, but. Oh, it's great. Sorry, I just saw the cake. Looks great, Ryan. Thanks for getting it for me on the internet. Yeah. And we we blocked out shotgun for a while. So I thought that's a it's like a present oh, for you. A double a double win. Yeah. Uh how how are the comments on uh I'm back here, folks. He's back. <laughs> Hopefully no echoes this time. So we didn't have that uh technical problem. And we should be able to take uh live phone calls today and uh be able to so Keely and Shotgun can hear them. So you can call in uh five one two four tunnel. Uh, is the number if you put your questions on YouTube or Periscope, we should be able to monitor those. And if you want to tweet at us, uh, you can just use hashtag Tunnel Vision and put up the tweet, and we will uh, be able to show that on the screen. So 
Uh, lots of good stuff. How how are you guys doing quarantine wise? I don't know what day it is. It's day twenty one or whatever whatever it is here in California. What how are you guys doing? Hey, it's your birthday, oh. so you get to go first. I'm doing well. Um, birthday was good. I was very curious how quarantine would be a quarantine birthday, but it's actually kind of nice. I'm the type of person who has like pressure to do something on your birthday, so I had a built-in excuse, and I think everyone was extra nice because they knew I was trapped in my apartment. So it was great. My Friends and family got me stuff through the mail. It was great. So, uh, so far doing good this week. It's every day is a new journey, though, in quarantine. <laughs> yes, it's different. How about you, Shaka? Yeah, Ke yeah, Keely had a giant pile of gifts. You know, she's like she's like a, a king or queen over there. Just when her wow. birthday comes around, people, everyone sends something from their their port uh, portion of the kingdom uh, <laughs> to to pay tribute, I guess, or something like that. Uh, oh. I'm doing good. I actually have uh, been able to get out and get some three to five a.m. runs in, so there's no oh. one out there. I don't have to worry about anyone uh, being around that I have to run around or avoid. So uh, that's the way I've been. Uh, been able to get some exercise in and, and trying to, to make the most uh, of the situation, obviously. And, you know, I, I've given up on having, trying to go to bed at a certain time. So now my, my sleep schedule is just continuing to move forward uh, more and more each day. So I think eventually I'll get back on a normal track for a couple of days and then just push past that as well. Yeah. You're oh, sleeping good. like during the, you're like a vampire right now. You're sleeping during the day and like staying up all night. Yeah, I've been going to bed. The last, I went to bed at almost two eight two p.m. this afternoon. Uh, I went to to bed yesterday. I think at like seven thirty or something. One one a.m. the day. I mean one p.m. the day before. So whatever. There's no there's no real need to have to be awake at certain hours. You know, the, my two time uh, you know uh, segments of the week are this show and playing Jeopardy with some friends on on Wednesdays. That's about it. You know, yeah. I have no other time constraints. So why force myself into you know, social norms. I'm just going to go and be myself and sleep when I need to and be awake the rest of the time. Isn't it weird? Hey. Like I have stuff on my calendar that like I scheduled like a month ago. You're like, oh no, that's not happening anymore. I'm like, oh, there's a birthday party. <laughs> nope, that's not happening. It's kind of weird. You know, like, oh, I forgot to delete. Even spring practices. I would like pull up. Oh, USC spring. Oh no. I know. I was supposed to go to the Angels home opener on Friday and I got a calendar reminder and I was oh. just like, no, it was so sad. So yeah. Sorry, yeah, that sucks. Well, I've been, you know, you would you'd be able to. Oh, so go ahead, Kaylee. What was the? What were you gonna say? Oh, I was just gonna say. While we're on the topic of birthdays, I think it's time to wish my fellow April birthday buddy, Mr. Gunn. Isn't it Wednesday? I believe. <laughs> I think it is. I don't know. I don't know what day of the week it is anymore. So, <laughs> but it's gonna be his birthday this week, so we should wish him happy birthday as well. Yeah, happy birthday. I don't have a, uh, a, <laughs> a Braves cake or anything. It's but, fine. Yeah. It's fine. We could get something. But yeah, we, we have to celebrate he that. He loves one, attention. So this is what we can do best for him. <laughs> he does love attention. Well, happy early birthday, mm -hmm. Shotgun. Yeah, it's so bad. Like you yeah. go on Facebook and you like wish people happy birthday. Um, hey, happy birthday, happy birthday. It's like, sorry, it's in, you know, the quarantine. And you'll see people do like the drive-bys or they'll the Zoom meetings. Like Zoom is great. I'm either working out or or drinking with friends on Zoom. So it's just kind of <laughs> You know, nice. it's, 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 I'm not doing any like real meetings and stuff. And the USC is a uh, you know the, Clay Helton has said how much he enjoys Zoom. The fact that they're able to meet with, with people and stuff as well, you know, meet with the players and whatnot. So you're seeing the the screen grabs of the Brady Bunch style uh, meetings and whatnot. You know, JD Baker uh, had had that for the tight end meeting and stuff. So 
you know, everyone's trying to make the most of it and they're trying to, to do what they can. You know, the Pac-12 said that, uh, you know, they would allow two hours of meeting time for, for the coaches and stuff for football. So they're trying to make the most of that two hours. And, you know, kids are obviously still trying to get their workouts and stuff in. And, you know, I think nutrition is going to be a big question mark going forward because, you know, I've talked with, you know, some of the guys who are training for the pro days and the combine stuff like that. And, you know, that, you know, ask them, how they're kind of thinking about those type things. And that was one of the big concerns is, hey, can we get enough food? Because, you know, kind of the, the grocery stores have been raided initially. Uh, now it's a little bit better, obviously. But, you know, are there going to be some kids on the team that can't afford to get, you know, they've been get, given kind of nutrition plans, you know, for this time and for the off season already. Are they going to be able to afford the food that they need to, to put in their body to, to try to continue to meet certain weight goals or to get down to certain weights, you know, are they going to be able to eat as healthy as, you know, they would want them to be on campus? I think that's going to be a big challenge for not just USC, but for schools all across the country, just with some of the kids and whether or not it's, uh, you know, luckily for in LA, you know, there's grocery stores around every corner, but, you know, for some of the kids that are out of state, you know, is there a grocery store right down the, the street in Florida for Jacob Lichtenstein or, you know, some of the kids in different parts of the country, I think those are going to be questions uh, going forward that, you know, have to be kind of monitored by the coaches as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting you bring that up, Shagan, because both uh, Chris Trevino and I talked to separate team sources who brought up the same thing. Um, what I was hearing was that the biggest learning curve right now for players that are at their homes are making your own meals, being responsible for managing what you eat, how you eat, making it yourself, because they're, they're used to showing up at Lil Galen and, and they're getting their meals handed to them. And so that's not the case anymore. So it's being on track of that, uh, making sure you're feeding yourself as much as you need to be if you're still working out and whatnot. Um, so yeah, so that's something that I was told was kind of a problem right now that they're trying to figure out is how do you make sure that these players on their own are doing what they need to do and something that they're not really used to doing. So it's definitely a learning curve. It sounds like we're gonna be in this for a while, so they're gonna have some time to figure it out. But uh, it was something that definitely came up in, in team in the team sourcing world. Yeah. And you know and, and also uh you know whose parents can actually cook good food that you want right? to eat all the time. You know, not yeah. everybody's got Rodriguez out there, you know, cooking up the tri-tip and, and whatnot. You know, some some people got Mama, mama just ain't that good of a cook, you know, so, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out what's the best way that they can, uh, you know, maybe they're watching some Food Network shows or something, trying to, to give lessons to their parents or whatnot, or just taking over the cooking themselves. So, you know, it's it's kind of a uh, a thing that it's humorous to joke about, but it's true. Like, if you, if you start eating the same thing over and over, you get tired of it really quickly, and, you know, can you kind of mix it up? Is someone uh, creative enough in the kitchen to – to, to make things a little bit different for you. So the same chicken, you're not having the same chicken dish, you know, five times, six times a week, you're, you're mixing it up and doing some different things. Yeah. I know you guys, I didn't ask you guys to talk about food, but you did. And I actually put a pic since I'm producing the show now, since I'm in the studio and Keely doesn't, you know, I have to get control over things. I could put pictures of her birthday cake, but I could also put a picture of what I made for dinner today because <laughs> I wanted to make uh, Scott. You mentioned Scott Rodriguez, you know, uh, he's always on Twitter. We love him always showing all the steaks and stuff that he's grilling and smoking and stuff. And Aaron Osmus, who we've had on this show, he's talking about, you know, uh, lifted heavy, eating thick. I, I grilled a tomahawk steak. So it's like this huge, I'll, I'll take it off the screen there. This, uh, huge long, uh, you know, bone. It's like enormous. So it looks like this tomahawk thing, which, you know, shotgun, you know, from the tomahawk chop with the Atlanta Braves, 
But it's amazing. It's, it's basically this huge ribeye steak, so there's a lot of fat and stuff involved. And you have to do a reverse sear on it, so you, you put it off the coals or off the, 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 you know, in the heat of the grill, but not directly over the heat. You heat it up to 115 degrees, so I had like a thermometer in there, like a, a monitor in my, you know, my room so you could get it going. And then you put it on a direct heat to sear it to get it up to like 125, so it'll be a nice medium rare. Let it rest for 10 minutes. It was freaking amazing. So I, I thought I would make Aaron Osmus proud having like this huge steak with an enormous bone. You just look like a caveman. So And it was really good. So I'm, I've never done one of those before. So I'm, you know. So hopefully the Very players nice. can do that. Hopefully they can do those things. How did you find the Tom Congratulations. Steak? Yeah. Uh, a buddy like was getting, I think it was like a, a restaurant supplier that they were having issues because they, you know, they, the restaurants uh, are buying as much. So like a group of us bought like a bunch of meat. And uh, so we got a whole bunch of different steaks, but we all, I got one of those ribeyes because they're like 30 bucks or something, one of those things, but it was, oh, wow. it was really good. So nice. yeah, so hopefully <laughs> you guys like that, but that was, uh, you know, we got to show you what we're doing during the quarantine. <laughs> I made cookies, delivering them all around. And I do have one other public service message for everybody. So all you guys, stay home. We everyone, you know, we want everyone to be safe. We want you to stay home. There's a people are looking for ways to volunteer. I had a lot of people message me like, "Hey, what are the things you can do?" And my dad gave me this idea, and I I kept I've been doing it for a little while now. If you don't like, if you go to a donut shop or a bakery, they throw away all their day old stuff. Most of them, they'll just throw it away the next day. You can't sell it. Um, you can go in there and maybe pay them a buck for a bunch of it or something. I. I picked up boxes. I picked up like six boxes of donuts from our local donut shop and delivered it to like the local police station in Hermosa Beach. Uh, there's a, a medical center in Manhattan Beach. I brought some to, and then I brought some to uh, meal, the Meals on Wheels place where I deliver food, uh, Salvation Army. And then this morning, I brought three boxes to the uh, Little Company of Mary emergency room in uh, Torrance because they have a lot of people and stuff coming in there, and they love it. So. If you just want to do something, I mean, it's free. You just go pick up day-old donuts or bakery baked goods from somewhere, and you can deliver it to uh, healthcare workers or, you know, any kind of officers out there, anyone that would need, you know, or food banks, things like that. So just a little something you could do. If you, hey, you want to do something, that's something that's pretty easy. So I, I, my dad was like, hey, this is great. So he told me about it, and I said, well, I'll tell people about it. If they want to try it out too, they can do it. If you feel safe going out there and you're healthy and everything. Yeah. Well done, Ryan. You can also... You could also take that tomahawk steak over there too. Too. No, that's yeah. fine. Sorry, that's, <laughs> like a hot dog or but <laughs> it's like a thirty dollars steak, man. Come on. Um, but it was good. Uh, so let's get into the recruiting aspect first. Uh, got a new commitment. Uh, what was it? Yesterday or something? Uh, so I, I don't know. Friday. Was it Friday? What's today? Sunday. Okay. It was after the war room was posted. We kind of said that, hey, you know, things were looking good and he could probably make a commitment soon. And sure enough, uh, less than 24 hours later, you know, Zamarian Gordon had, uh, had committed to USC from, from Downey Warren High School. Um, so another reason why, if you're not a subscriber, you should probably, you know, hit the like button down below, but also subscribe. Uh, so that you can get the latest information, uh, early stuff, especially the War Room on Fridays always has the inside info for you guys. So, you know, there was a little hit there on that one. And, you know, within less less than 24 hours, he, he had popped his commitment. And, you know, Zamarian Gordon is, is a kid from uh, that has really good size from, from Downey Warren, a safety uh, prospect that, you know, was a little bit under the radar, but really kind of started blowing up this spring and started getting a bunch more offers. And, you know, he's a kid that USC had had their eye on. And he's a, 
you know, a local prospect that can add to that safety room. And that's a, a big position of need in this recruiting class as well. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a, been a, there's been a streak, I guess you could say going on with some of these commitments during the uh, quarantine time. And there's a bunch of crystal balls coming out there uh, for, you know, other, you, you know, prominent Southern California players that are projected to go uh, to USC. Uh, I mean, get both of your thoughts on this. What do you think about how this recruiting staff has been uh, going since the the new hires uh, a couple months ago? Yeah, I mean, you can tell that the momentum is really picking up. Actually, with the latest commitment, USC jumped to number one in the Pac-12 over Oregon and now 11th nationally. And you can tell that there's kind of momentum building. At least that's what it feels like on Twitter. You can see every coach, even the support staff guys, they're tweeting when there's a new uh, commitment. Even the the new trendy thing to have the head coach uh, tweet out a GIF and like a fight on. You know, I think some other coaches in the Pac-12 do that when they get a commitment. So they're kind of building up uh, the anticipation for someone to announce that they're committing. And you can tell that these guys are really into it. I mean, Niver was big for uh, the latest commitment, uh, for Gordon's commitment. But it was also Helton and Dante Williams kind of tag teaming with that as well. Um, both Gerard and uh, Greg Biggins wrote about the commitment, and it was just really interesting behind-the-scenes information. But Biggins was saying that Dante Williams and Craig Niver are kind of becoming the best recruiting duo in the nation. So that's something where you didn't see this last year. You didn't see any momentum. And, and you can kind of think that in the previous regimes, if there was an unprecedented event like what we're going through right now, it might have been a good idea for them to – they would have – maybe taking advantage of like, hey, maybe we can kind of scale back recruiting a little bit. now, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so now it seems like these guys are taking advantage of all the time that they have and they're really uh, hitting the recruiting trail. I guess they can't hit the recruiting trail, virtually hitting the recruiting trail. Um, and it, it seems like the momentum is building in their favor. Yeah, definitely. And I think you look at the class right now, it looks much more like a USC class than last year. Yes. I mean, last year's class, you had one 24-7 composite four-star player. This year, you've already got, you know, if this class were to hold as it you know stands, they add some guys. But already so far, the commits that they have, they have six commits. One of them is a five-star quarterback, and you have four other guys that are four-star prospects at positions of need, too. Brandon Campbell, they picked up recently, the running back from Katy, Texas. Uh, you know, that's a obviously a position of need because they didn't get a running back this last class. And then safety, like I talked about, was a Marion is – is important for them with Isaiah Polamau and Talanova Funka both potentially being uh, options to leave early after the season, you know, if they have really big years and stuff. And then obviously you got a couple guys that have been there for a while with Jay Toya and Ma uh, Nayateote. Uh, th those two guys have been committed for, you know, over a year now uh, and or two years, over two years for, for Ma and almost two years for Jay. So you know, those are the long-time commits in the class, but they've been adding positions of need as well as getting high-quality guys. You know, last year the class was obviously not good at all. It was the worst class that USC's had. You had one guy in the top uh, 350, I think it was, in the 24-7 composite. And this this class so far already, I think, has three or four of those guys. So, you know, they're doing a much better job. You're seeing the efforts that they put in and how that they're they're working as units. You know, you, you, when you talk to some of the players, that some of the recruits that they're looking at, you know, they talk about the constant communication, talk about how the new staff and there's more energy and stuff. And I think it's really paying off so far. And it doesn't seem like that run's going to slow down necessarily anytime soon. Yeah.
Yeah, it's a, it's a good run for for USC recruiting right now. Um, you know, we'll see if they're able to uh, kind of keep that momentum going. Um, one of the other topics, want, maybe we'll go, well, we will talk about the uh, 2006 Rose Bowl and then we'll kind of get into the season stuff. Uh, okay. Yeah. So uh, what did you, did, did you guys both rewatch it? Did you see or what's? So when it started happening, I texted Chris Trevino. I was like, should I watch this? Like, should we do content off of this? And he was like, no, we're fine. And then Twitter started blowing up about it. And he was like, yes, we need to do it. <laughs> so then I, I was actually like on a walk. So I came back. I caught like the last five minutes, which is the best part. So that yeah. was fine. But I hadn't rewatched the game since I was like 10. So it was crazy for me to like kind of see what I remembered and what I didn't. Um, and it was crazy that little Keely was watching it. And I was like, no, I get to cover this program. It was just kind of a trippy thing. But yeah, it was... It was a cool thing just because everyone was bored and you could tell that they were just on Twitter like, okay, we'll rewatch the 2006 uh, game. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I wrote an article off of everyone's reactions and, and some of the players who were even in that game commented on it as well, which is interesting. Yeah, it's fun. I'll put up uh, the Vince Young picture, like a USC tweeted out, like Vince Young knees down. I think that was in the first quarter. His knee is down, but he pitches the ball for a touchdown uh, after the play. So, uh, you know, Lindell was always tweeting that out like, his knees down, his knees down. I think Lendell was a big, uh, he was out there. He was, he was one of the big, uh, people were like talking about him. He, was, he had a monster game. You, you think about the fourth and two thing, but outside of that, he had a, he just had a monster game. Yeah, and he actually got some some extra love with this game because people were like, we didn't really appreciate Lindale as much as we did Reggie. So if you looked at his Twitter feed, he was retweeting everyone who was giving him some love. So that was kind of like the one positive, since it's a painful game for USC fans, it was the one positive is Lindale White kind of got the more credit than maybe he hadn't gotten before. Yeah. I still have not rewatched any games during the quarantine yet. I've not actually gone <laughs> down that route yet. Uh, I, if I do, then you'll see them in my Twitter feed because any game I watch, I end up tweeting. Uh, so... It might be the a 1987 random NBA game, depending on how long the quarantine goes. You know, but you never, you know, the Denver Nuggets are playing the Washington Bullets or something. Who knows? Uh, but I have not rewatched that game since uh, since it aired initially either. So uh, it was interesting seeing all the interactions and how many people were actually watching it in real time, uh, watching this replay in real time, and how many people were commenting. And you know, I think it's interesting. How some of these events have big, or some of these rewatches have become events because yeah. you know there's no new content on for a lot of things, so it's not like ah, I'll just go watch this other thing that's on instead. Uh, you know, a lot of people are tuning in, and you know it's becoming that community event still, even if it's you know something that's old and something people have seen before. You know, you've seen some of the basketball games, people are like, oh yeah, I forgot about this, and I think Lindell, the uh, you know the love he got on social media was a good example of this. It's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about this portion of the game or when this happened or, yeah. you know, and for, for USC fans, I know that they are, they probably didn't uh, they didn't forget many of the bad things from that game, but maybe if they did take – if they did make the effort to rewatch it, because I know some people still won't, you know, but some people are like, I will never rewatch that game. My roommate, know, uh, my roommate had to leave. I was like, I need to watch this for my job. He was like, I'm gone. I cannot do this for my mental health. Yeah, I got a, a message from Taylor Estes, who, who does cover – she's from Southern California, went to Mission Viejo High School, but she covers the you know Texas Longhorns for horns 24 seven. And I forget what it was. There was, she was going to get some commentary from somebody that was one of the coaches in the game or something. And she asked me like, would you want to run this on your site? And I'm like, no, they're not going to like that. And she's like, really? I'm like, no, they don't want to talk about that game. So no. <laughs> 
She goes, that's a different There's some people on the staff, that. like like Gavin Morris says he will never rewatch that game, uh, yeah. you know, which, which shows you that, that Gavin's been a USC fan for a long time, uh, be- long before necessarily oh, yeah. he was on the staff. But uh, there's some people that don't want to watch it. But for those USC fans that did brave it, hopefully they got to see, remember some of the positives from it that maybe they've forgotten because of all the heartache uh, in the game. Maybe they just rewatched until the final five minutes when Keely was picking up. You know, maybe that yeah. was – the way they did it, like, okay, this is a good game. This is a good game. Okay, I'm going to close this off right now. Just, I got something else I need to do for the last five minutes. I don't, we'll just see how the game plays out. I'm sure I'll hear about it in the future. Yeah, I think Lawrence Jackson was in that boat, right, Keely? Like, yeah, he, he was. In, he came in in the last minute or so. It was like, ah, damn it. You know, and he was out there. He was on the field, so. I was really curious, Ryan. What was it like covering that game for you? Yeah, I mean, it was, it's still one of the greatest games I've ever seen, you know, um, it was just, it was nutty. And there was, you know, talking to some of the players and stuff afterwards, I think, I think I talked to like Sam Baker and then, you know, we, we've talked to, you know, liner we've had on the show, we, you know, talked to guys like that. I mean, there was definitely a sense of invincibility uh, for USC, probably, you know, overconfidence, uh, you know, Reggie Bush trying to lateral the ball to like a walk on, you know, on a like, you know, you look back on that and you're like, does it really matter if you're just pounding people, which what that, you know, it's what they were mostly doing, but um, they, you know, they had some, that, that streak was at 34 straight games. I mean, it was pretty amazing. Like you, yeah. you have to take it in context. Like they've won 34 straight <laughs> leading up to that game. It's like, they felt pretty invincible of what was going on. And uh, you know, to win the title game the, the previous year, 55, whatever, 19, whatever the heck that was. Um, I mean, I think there was a lot of confidence there and it was a, you know, it was a really good Texas team. Um, and you know, Vince Young played out of worldly. I mean, he was just pretty amazing about it. And see, I've, I've gone to events where you had like liner and young talk and, you know, both of them talked about that game, but I feel like it was, it was one of those things where it's really hard to win and it's really, really hard to repeat because of that overconfidence. And I think that's probably a big, one of the underlying factors uh, coming out of that one. I know after losses, it's always hard to talk to players, but that was just a different type of loss. Was it hard to talk to players? What was kind of like the mood? I'm just curious about covering it, what that was like. Yeah, we we didn't get to go. So that was like kind of as we were getting, we were covering practices, but not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we didn't really get the access for that game. It was 2006. Yeah, so we that was kind of the ones we didn't get to go into the locker room and get reactions okay. and stuff like Yeah, so it was a little... I think the next year is when we started to get more of that, um, mm-hmm. where we could be at all of those kind of events. I think we could go to games, but not the bowl game. Uh, there was something, but that was sort of like when the internet was becoming, at least the internet media, we were becoming more kind of mainstream and stuff. But we well, that know. was the funny thing when you saw the the replay. They were like, "We now have this the game on iPod on your iPod," and that was like such a big deal back then. I think I downloaded like football games. So I was like, "This is so cool! I have it on my iPod." Yeah, you could do those <laughs> so. things. It was fun. A relic of the past. Different times. Uh, I forgot to mention, too, uh, our buddy uh, Coley in Iowa. And I don't know if we have any. Oh, we do have one call in the queue. Uh, Coley in Iowa sent us a, a little note here. I'll say it. So, wow. uh, Ryan Keeley Shotgun, hate the Trojans. Uh, love the show. Uh, thanks for keeping college football hopeful. Of course, go Irish. That's our buddy Coley in Iowa. He sent. Uh, so, these are like these Irish uh, coffees. Irish cream coffee. So I'm not a coffee drinker. So there's two of these here. Um, wow. They got little stickers and stuff. So you guys, whenever uh, this quarantine is over, if you want to come in there. <laughs> now, this probably is not going to last. This is uh, dark chocolate, Notre Dame dark chocolate. So I'll eat that pretty quick. Uh, so yeah, it probably won't be here by the time you guys 
uh, get here. But thanks, Coley. Uh, so he sent us a whole bunch of stuff. So that's very, very wow, nice of him. Very nice. Great thank listener. You. Great. A Notre Dame listener that like loves our show <laughs> and sends us stuff. So we, we appreciate that. Um, very interesting. Yeah. Well, you want to, should we take the call? Why don't we take the call? Sure. Uh, let's see if this works. All right. We're trying it. So hopefully this works. We're going to try this. Hello, caller. You're on uh, with Tuttle Vision. Oh, no, that's uh, that was the screener. That's my bad. Let's try this one. It's Dave from Iowa. Dave. Dave, you're on the air. How you doing, Dave? Oh, maybe that's not working. There he is. Dave from Iowa. You're on there. How you doing? Hey, Ryan. Hey, Tunnel Vision. How's it going? Hello, hello. hello we can hear him this hello? week. Hello? <laughs> yeah, we, we can, can hear, hear you. you. Just... Can you guys hear me? Oh, awesome. All right, so my question was uh, just about of how, like, so this past weekend, I'm really happy that we got to commit for safety in Zamarian Gordon. But I was just curious, like, the day before or the day, the day before the day of, um, Anthony Beavers released his top five. But like USC wasn't in the top five, so can you kind of explain what where USC is standing at right now with that uh, prospect? You want to take a shotgun or? Sure, uh, and we've mentioned this. You check on the on the parastyle on the boards. Uh, but don't put too much stock into Anthony Beaver's top fives and his his uh, final lists and stuff. Just he, he likes to play the recruiting game a little bit. He likes the attention, and uh, you know he obviously decommitted from Oregon. He's a guy that's that's going to be. Uh, he's a guy that's going to be someone that will be. You know, you're going to have to recruit him throughout the entire process to, to make sure that you get that signature at the end. If you stop committed, you know, you stop recruiting at an end point, then you know he might open things up after he makes a commit or something like that. So he's a guy that wants to be recruited. You know, you know, there's some prospects that want just to as soon as they can make a decision, get things over with, so that people won't call them. Other co other players want uh, the attention from uh, coaches, no uh, right or wrong way to do it necessarily, but Anthony Beavers is one of the kids that uh, is interested in being recruited. So USC still in the mix there, even though they were not in the top five list there, they're still going to recruit him. There's a couple other players, similar things. Josh Simmons, the offensive lineman who decommitted from Oregon, you know, he put out a list not long after his decommitment that did not include USC. However, USC still in the mix there. That's another guy that they're looking at. You know, he was on campus uh, in uh, February, I believe it was, when they had a bunch of people there for the UCLA basketball game, February, March, whatever that was, like two years ago, it feels like. Uh, but when they had the big junior day uh, at the USC-UCLA basketball game, he was one of the guys there. So they're still going to be re uh, recruiting him pretty hard as well. So just because they're not in these lists doesn't necessarily mean that they're cut out of them, especially for Southern California talent that they're really still pressing hard on. Uh, there are some other guys that, you know, that, that they don't make a list and it's because, you know, they're not really recruiting them that hard. So, you know, but these two, these aren't those type of guys. They're in the mix there as well. Cool. Uh, thanks, Dave, for that one. And uh, I think with the the crystal balls are pointing beavers towards USC anyway, right? Or, or some of them are? There are still crystal balls that, that have him pointed towards USC. So we'll, we'll see how that one plays out. And, you know, he put out a tweet that kind of had a popcorn emoji with a date. Yeah, I think it was yesterday. He also tweeted out SC trying to take back the city fire emojis. I, I'm feeling it. So interesting. After uh, Mary Gordon yes. uh, committed as yeah. well. So, it, you know, they need guys in the back of that secondary 
He's kind of a hybrid guy. He can play linebacker, play safety. Where exactly is, is his best fit going to be? Can he be a nickelback? You know, where where does he fit in? But because USC needs some bodies back there with, with what they, you know, with the potential of losing guys like Isaiah Polamau, Talanoa Hufunga, you know, having C.J. Pollard transfer out, they're going to be looking for some, some safeties in this class. And because, like you said, that Craig Nivar and – uh, Dante Williams have been really pushing hard and have been, you know, become this kind of dynamic duo recruiting. Expect USC to get the guys they want in the secondary. Uh, if if it, any any other position that they're definitely going to get, uh, those are the positions that you're kind of looking at because of the way those guys have been recruiting so far. Yeah. Um, well, one of the other topics I wanted to get to, and thanks for the call, and uh, you can keep calling in. It looks like the calls are working and everything. Uh, again, apologize we don't have uh, the live Facebook thing going, but we got – Stuff going up on YouTube, and if you want to tweet at us, um, oh, here's what here we actually have a Twitter. Let me uh, let me pull up. I'm up. also monitoring Periscope. I'm actually talking to people on Periscope, Ryan. Nice, I so. do that sometimes too. All right, I think we're back here uh, streaming again on Tunnel Vision. So well, at least we can restart it and come back. We got Keely and Shotgun back uh, again. We're doing this during the uh, coronavirus quarantine, and we are usually in the same studio. We don't have these kind of issues connecting. Uh, remotely but lately today at least we've had uh the issues and once once keelan shot can go away where there's no way for me to bring them back some unfortunately until i restart the show but the good thing is on youtube and periscope it'll just kind of flush back into it so i guess we get little breaks on the show and then uh point forward so uh thanks for hanging in there with us i know we lost a bunch of viewers but hopefully you, know, you guys can come back and uh and and keep it rolling on so uh I think that so the question I brought up for, from uh, from Twitter was, what uh, is does Brew McCoy really exist? I'll try to pull it back up again. He does exist. I feel like bringing it up might be too much uh, for. Yeah, maybe we. Yeah, I don't. Maybe we don't want to bring it up. Because, maybe we just go simple for the rest of the show. Yeah, we'll try to go simple. That all right. Uh, but yes, so that was from uh, Jgold three one zero. Does Brew McCoy really exist? We wanted to see him this spring. That would have been nice. We did see him for one practice though. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and he, he did look good in that one practice. Uh, you know, he and Chris Steele were going at it back and forth uh, in the one-on-one drills and stuff. And he, he's going to be a player. He's going to be a guy that's going to make an impact whenever he can get on the field, whenever the team can get on the field. Um, he's back in shape. You know, the, the things that kept him out last year from the transfer to the illness, you know, all those things seem to be in his past. Moving forward, hopefully, you know, when the team can get back on the field, you're going to see Brew McCoy making plays. You know, I expect him to be a, a big playmaker. You know, I I think the kid is, is special. I think he's one of those special type of talents that when you see him, even in their first or second practice as a freshman, when you see a juju, you see the door, you go, something different there, something a little different there uh, with him as well. I think the way that he catches the ball, even with uh, contested, um, you know, the very first throw against Chris Steele in spring camp, uh, they were he was, Chris Steele was all over him. It was a little slant pass all over him. Should have been a pass interference potentially. Still catches the ball even with basically Chris Steele with his arms around him in a bear hug. Still makes the catch. Uh, he's able to make those type of catches with contact. With uh, you know doesn't have to have a ton of separation. Still makes the catches. And then if they get creative. I would love to see him coming off the edge as well in a little special package, you know, coming off uh, being a terror off the end as a defensive end. He can he can do it. He's a, he's a guy that's a, a special freak talent, and, you know, if they can unleash him and find ways to do that, a la, you know, in Adore Jackson when they had a package for him on the offensive side, 
he's the type of player that can make an impact on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah, so I won't try to pull those up, but if you want to tweet us, I can still read them and everything. And, uh, but I want to talk, uh, did you guys, I don't know if you guys got a chance to read Dan Weber's column about the Spanish flu from 1918 at, you know, the hundreds of thousands of people that are killed across the country and how, you know, in Los Angeles, Los Angeles was actually a little bit better than like the Bay area, but they, they kept having football seasons, you know? So even over, it was over like a two year thing. They played, I think like five games in 1918 and, a lot of them they waited till you know later on uh, in the in the year and uh, kind of moved things around. They it, they really were getting creative and they didn't have all the kind of uh, you know technology that we have right now. Probably wasn't a good idea for the things that they were doing. A lot of people were getting sick. I know. I think uh, Alicia Deratola did one for Raid of Troy talking about that a couple of weeks ago from the Spanish. I think they did a podcast episode on it and all these college football players end up getting sick and college football was nowhere near as big as it is, you know, it is as now that it, as it was then, but they kept playing on. Um, and that's the big question. And you know, there, there was a meeting with the white house and all the commissioners of, uh, you know, the major sports across the country, not college sports, but professional sports. Um, you know, what are the, some of the options and, you know, that, there's optimism that they could get the football season going. They're going to have the NFL draft, but they won't do it in Vegas. Um, I don't know what do you got. It's we got months away, and I think we, you know this. This is going to be a key month. You know, April to see how many cases we get and how you know if there's a big spike or all that stuff. But do you guys are, are you guys leaning one way or the other? Like, I think your football season is going to be, you know, it's going to happen or no. I think it's too early to tell still. Um, I think that one thing that to keep an eye on is South Korea. You know, they've started reintroducing. People are, you know, going out and, and you know, doing normal activities once again. You know, there's lines going to restaurants. They're worried if there's going to be a second wave and how, you know, if there is, how do they have to then react to it? I think that they're, because they're kind of, the, have been the best case scenario so far. Uh, you know, especially compared to the U.S., since they did have cases on the same day and the fact that they've been able to flatten the curve a lot quicker. Um, I think that they're an interesting case to look at. And then also just looking at how quickly the vaccines are done, how quickly, you know, that, they, that something can be created that can start being mass-produced and doing different things like that. I think there's still a lot of question marks. And I think it all goes back to starting with testing. You know, if the U.S. Ramps can ramp up testing enough to where they can, you know, be able to – be able to narrow it down when someone gets it really quickly and then be able to trace it back and quarantine and do all those things that some other countries have done a little bit better. I think that's a big thing. And before, until you get some of those steps done, I don't know that we're going to be looking at something that's five months in the future. I think with South Korea, what they did, it took them two months from their initial to when they're starting to flatten the curve. So I think that's a best case scenario. So once you see that USC can ramp up the testing and have that available, then I think you're looking at a, you know, one, one and a half uh, a year to, I mean, one and a half month to two months uh, kind of period. So if they can get something done by June or July and, you know, we feel like you're in a better position, then, then I think it's, it's a possibility. But then, you know, I think it's, it's hard to don't listen to the politicians. Don't listen to Gavin Newsom. Don't listen to the White House. Don't listen to either side of it. Pay attention to what the doctors say, yeah. and they're they're going to be the ones that kind of lead this because you're already hearing the you know the commissioners and stuff say we're going to have to pay attention to what the doctors say more than what the politicians because politicians hey they want people to be able to get back out and do normal things. Everyone wants that, but 
is it going to be safe? Is it going to, or we're going to see a big spike again if we try to, you know, get people out back in the workforce and doing all the normal things that we'd like to be doing? That's the hard thing to say. So I think we're still a little too early to determine whether or not a college football season is going to be viable. Yeah. Shotgun said it all. He he said <laughs> everything I was going to say. So I don't need that to talk right now. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, I I don't know if you guys watch a lot of news stuff. Uh, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes I don't want to watch it, and you do. Yeah. And, um, you know, it. I don't like it when people play politics and you're blame. It's like a lot of blame. It's like I think at this point everyone's got to be on the same team. Like we just we got to get this working. You know, if you're a Republican, Democrat, whatever. We just need to get this, you know, without blaming people and, oh, there's this fall, this fall, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, hey, let's just fix this because I want to have a damn college football season and we got to make sure yeah. we're doing everything <laughs> right. And that means if it means everyone's got to stay at home now, stay at home now and do what you need to do uh, to, to, to fix this. So I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm kind of more of an optimistic kind of guy. We'll see. Um, but we'll, you know, I, I think we'll know a lot more by the end of April just because we'll, you know, where we're going to be as far as cases and things like that. Us here in California, I think we're doing a pretty good job, um, you know, with the, you know, I think, I think California was the first state to do the stay at home order, right? I believe so. San Francisco, uh, yeah. Uh, but as far as the state, I think the same day, like Los Angeles County did or, you know, yeah. Mayor Garcetti did for LA, but then Gavin Newsom came on like right after. I think we did a show, yeah. Shotgun, I think you and I did a show that day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you did. Um, and uh, we did that. So we said, we got Chuck on going matrixy out every once in a while. So. <laughs> no. So there's, we don't need to see my picture. It's fine. There's no He's... there's no shortage of, of problems. We we didn't get <laughs> Chuck on better internet for sure because Keely seems fine. You know whatever. Uh, uh, I, I kicked my roommates off the internet. That's why <laughs> they know not to stream during television. Oh, uh, nice. <laughs> They're like streaming like lots of things. Yeah, that. yeah. Nice. Oh, um, oh, I think one, one, one thing that was interesting uh, talking about college football and just the, the politics uh, of COVID-19 was if you guys saw that the, I think it was the Alabama. governor from Alabama yeah. went out and said, hey, if you guys want a college football, if you guys want to attend college football games, we need to all work on this together. Uh, so I thought that yeah. was interesting because that's been one of the areas of concern is, you know, People thinking that it'll be it'll be perfectly fine. I don't have to really worry about it in certain parts of the country, and just you know that that, that there's going to be kind of a wave instead of a uh, you know a consensus you know approach to things. That there's going to be waves, and you know when, then most people travel, it's going to continue to push back and push back the date when we can get back to normalcy. I think that uh, you know if, if the the governors are kind of giving that message in SEC country, then you know maybe it'll give a little bit more credence to the to People that aren't paying attention to it, if they listen to that and go, whoa, wait, college football? Whoa, whoa, wait, we're, we're talking five months in advance here? We're talking about my college football? I don't get to go see, you know, uh, Ram, what is it, Ram and Jamma, Yellow Hammer, or whatever it is uh, in Alabama, yeah. you know, that they have. So you don't, you don't get to see the houndstooth everywhere. No, I think that that's, uh, you know, if, if we keep getting making progressive steps like that, then I think it'll be a positive for the country as a whole and getting towards that college football potential. Yeah, I think it's a smart move. Put it in terms where people can understand. Yeah. If you don't do this now, we won't have college football. Come yeah. on. So I think it's a good thing. And like, that out there. And like what Chaka was saying is don't listen to the politicians. I, I mean, I didn't, I liked what Dabo Sweeney had to say uh, as far as he's a football coach. Like he's not, you know, he's not a, a infectious disease specialist or anything like that. He's out there saying, I want to have college football. I want, you know, this is what I want. We're, we're going to do whatever we can to kind of get towards that. I don't have an issue when coaches are th saying things like that. I don't think you're making light of the situation. At least I didn't take it that way. I know some people can be 
super hypersensitive about those kind of things. But I, I'd rather have the college football coaches saying things, you know, like, and like what the, the Alabama player said, it's like, Hey, make sure you stay home. Like we're going to do our part. Like, what can you do? You can stay home. Don't go out there. Don't spread this disease. And that's going to give us the best opportunity to, to play college football. But uh, I don't know if you guys had an issue with like Dabo Sweeney talking about, you know, wanting the season to start on time. I didn't see what he said, but I mean, it's an accurate statement, isn't it? It's just tangible things that people can understand how long this could go. What I mean, obviously, loss of life is the most important thing you want everyone to stay healthy. But I mean, in other terms, maybe that's too broad for people to understand. College football is something that people love and understand. And, and so I'm all for educating people in ways that they can understand. So I don't have an issue with him. But again, I didn't hear what he said specifically. Yeah. The one thing that I didn't read the full comments or see the full interview, but the one thing that kind of picked up notice was that you said he was flying back and forth from Florida, and that he, you know yeah. the, the plane was sanitized. Though, uh, you know, I think that's uh, like you need to set a better example as probably the most prominent figure in the state of South Carolina right now, which is a state that I don't believe has a stay-at-home order at this time. They don't uh, still. Uh, wow. They don't. So I think that if you're the most prominent figure, then you need to set the example for the rest of the state and say, hey, I I could be doing all these things if I wanted to, but I'm staying at home with my family as well. And I, th I think it's interesting that the USC has made a very concerted effort to give that message out with their football coaches, with their coaches and other sports as well. Uh, yeah. So, you know, USC, and, and sometimes it takes a directive from, you know, higher up from the athletic department or from the, the president of the school that, hey, this is what we want to kind of – the message we want to kind of give. And, you know, I think it's interesting that USC has given that message. And you've seen all the football coaches in particular have been very clear on their message. They're staying at home with their families, and they're, they're hoping everyone else does the same. So it's interesting to see the dichotomy there from, from some sides of the country where, you know, Alabama's got their Apple watches and everybody's freaking out. And Rick has asked this question a couple times on YouTube. Did they – did they get all their 15 practices? And that, is that going to be a big difference uh, for USC? They actually did not get any of their practices in. They were actually slated to start the day that everything kind of got shut down. So yeah. they had not done any practices. So there's no advantage there. USC got their walkthrough first day of practice. So no advantage really for USC. Ryan, just because you do the podcast of, of champions, uh, I was kind of curious, which schools in the Pac-12 will have an advantage having got more um, – uh, of their their more of their spring practices in. I know Air, the Arizona schools usually start a little bit earlier. Yeah, to try they, to get in before the weather gets too hot. They did. Yeah. Uh, they started early. There's so the there's three schools that haven't had any spring practices: Colorado, uh, Washington, and Washington State. USC had one, so they're kind of in the bottom uh, of that. Uh, Arizona State uh, started the earliest, um, so they started in February, you know, late February, which is crazy. Uh, so they, wow. I think they got eight or nine or something like that. I mean, so there's, there's definitely some, it, there's kind of a wide range. They started, you know, some of them were going to start late. I think Washington was going to start late, but cram them all into like three and a half weeks. And obviously that didn't happen. Um, and so Arizona state was more of a start early and get it in pretty quickly. Some of them were, were coming out. A lot of them had like a week or two of practice and they were taking a week off. And then, so I think the majority, there's like three, four, five, six practices for a bunch of the Pac-12 teams and then going forward. But you mentioned uh, the the Apple Watches. We actually have a call um, from uh, our buddy who sent us the coffee and the chocolate. So we have uh, Coley on the line. I will bring him up. Coley, thanks for calling in. How you doing, man? 
I'm doing tremendous. Thanks for having me. And uh, Shotgun Keeley, there is more chocolate on the way, so if Ryan doesn't give it to you, he's just hoarding it, just to let you know. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'll Thank be hoarding. You. I'll be my eating question, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my question is, and, 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 and you're right, Nick Saban in Alabama passing out watches, and, and uh, they're practicing with them. They're, um, uh, I, I, I guess, overseeing the players. Um, in your opinion, is this really just a loophole they found, or do you think they're truly on the up and up, or do you think they're doing something a bit um, underhanded here, which would be surprising for the SEC? And uh, I'll take your uh, thoughts off air. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Coley. Um, yeah, so that was so. If you didn't hear, it was. Uh... They, they apparently Alabama handed out Apple watches to all the players. So you can kind of monitor what they're doing through workouts. There's specific rules in each conference. I'm not as familiar with exactly what the sec allows you to do. I think there were some questions. The NCAA got involved. There's some questions on if you could, you know, give everyone like this technology so they could go work out how much are you allowed to monitor what they're doing and things like that. It seems like you're pushing the envelope a little bit of, of what's going on. I think, when you're talking about voluntary workouts. Now, these are crazy circumstances and maybe it's a, a smart thing to do or maybe it's a, a health benefit for the players, uh, but I'm not sure where. Yeah, I, I think that it's one of those things where you have to be flexible. The NCAA has to be flexible and they have to come up with it like, look, you can do this. You can monitor, you could do Zoom things, but you can't like give everyone like $500 watches because we're not going to allow that, whatever they say. But I think I think we have to get something quick from the NCAA on things like this. I think it's interesting because you, you look at it and say, okay, is, is a Fitbit allowed? You know, we just want to track and make sure that we know uh, how much you guys are working out and being able to make sure it's a health concern. If you can sell it that way and say, hey, we need to monitor you to make sure that you're not overexerting yourself uh, so that, you know, we don't get you injured or anything like that. Or are you saying, okay, everyone needs to be, we have this specific workout, here's the workout plan. We got you guys, and at 2 p.m., everyone works out. I want to make sure. I want to see your heart rates up or whatever. How are you? How are those Apple Watches, those Fitbits being used? I think that's a lot different, and that's where there's that you know there's that gray area. But that's where there's some some leeway that maybe Alabama could get away with something like this. Um, but I, I think it's an interesting thing. And I, when I first heard it, I was like, "What's the big What's the big deal? What does it matter?" Um, but then depending on how they are using it, I could see where it could be an advantage. It could be something where it's a, it's a, it's something using technology to a benefit that's basically giving them more hours with the players, even if it's virtual hours, because there's been a limit on the amount of virtual hours that uh, conferences are allowing coaches to have. And the way that they've been kind of regulating this seems odd to me. Like we talked about this on the Paracel podcast, but the fact that they, you can't do a live workout. Like yeah. you can't, I know Ryan, you've been doing it, but the, the, the players can't do that. That just seems odd to me. But then the fact that you could do like Apple watches, it seems, it just seems like it's a little like a blindfolded pick and choose at this point. Um, so I, to me, it just, we talked about Ryan, the flexibility needed on behalf of the NCAA, which I know is not their strong suit, but I think there needs to be some more thought given to the challenges and what coaches can and can't do and how they regulate it. Because right now, I mean, I think the Pac-12 is appealing it, but there's only two hours of instruction for football and four hours for other sports, correct? 
So yeah. to me, that's weird as well. So it just there's a lot of oddities to me about how they're regulating this unique time period. Yeah, it's very- and the NCA has kind of they've kind of passed the buck at this point. You know, you look at them allowing spring sports. You know, allowing everyone to have the eligibility back. Great. You know, that sounded like a great idea. But then they said, well. It's at the school's discretion, though, yeah. whether or not they want to bring them back. So then now the NCAA says, hey, we're the good guys. Hey, we, we gave you guys this year back. Your school didn't want to pay for it? Hey, that's not on us. We didn't do that. Yeah, you know, That's not us. But your school's back because they should have you back type of thing. So they've really passed the buck in that situation. And there's certain sports. And, you know, baseball, I, I you know, in, in the spring, baseball recruiting is the most ridiculous thing in all of athletics to me. Because you have 11.7 scholarships for for 27 players uh, on a 35-man roster. You're dealing with the MLB draft that can take players away straight out of high school. You're dealing with juniors or or, uh, redshirt sophomores or even old enough sophomores that can go into the MLB draft. Are they good enough? Are they not good enough? Are we going to have them? Do we give their money away to freshmen that are coming in? So USC is looking at that. I think they have 14 draft-eligible players uh, in this, this coming up draft you know, after this season for baseball. And the draft's going to be shortened down to either five to ten rounds. And so now, you know, if you have 14 draft-eligible guys and maybe just going on a number, but say ten of them were, were likely going to be guys that would be drafted and would be making a decision in the past, now at least half those guys aren't. Maybe you have two or three that are, you know, going to be five, the top five-round guys. Now you got – I don't know how many USC has signed for this class coming in, but say you have ten guys there. Now you're adding a 10 extra. There's a lot of complications that go into that, particularly on the baseball side, just because of how difficult it is with the scholarship money. But you're doing that same thing with several sports in the spring where you're saying, all right, well, we have, you know, we have five guys that, are, that would have been graduating, but now they're coming back. Well, we had, you know, five freshmen that are coming in. Who's going to get that playing time? Is there, you know, there's going to be more roster spots based on seniors, but it's also a big uh, divide there. And this is similar with the spring football you know, who get, has been practicing already is that if you, you're, they're going to be able to push the roster up by however many seniors you have. So if you go from 35 to, you know, you have four seniors, now you have 39. Well, what if a, another school had 12 seniors? So now all of a sudden they get a roster size that's 47 versus your 39. How is there not a disparity there? And again, it's going to come down to financials for a lot of uh, uh, programs and you know, baseball is probably the most prominent because it's it's uh, spring. But, hey, let's say the same thing happens to the fall season and you do the same thing with football. Yeah. Now suddenly you have a team that has 15 seniors and they're able to get, uh, you know, an extra 15 spots for an extra year. So now you have a team that has 100 scholarship players versus a team that has 85. That's mm-hmm. a huge, huge yeah. difference. Yep. So, I, I, you know, I mean, I'm talking about baseball a little bit just because it's more prevalent and it's uh, at this time and because they made this decision. But this could potentially push into the fall, and you, you have something similar with football. There are going to be a lot of discussions about that discrepancy, much more so than hey, this team to practice five more times in spring than, than the, this other team did. Yeah. Yeah. We got another live caller. Let's uh, bring it up. It looks like Larry from yeah. Vancouver is on the line. Larry, oh, what's going on, sir? Vancouver. Hi there. How are you? Good. How are you, Larry? I'm good. Uh, question for you. Uh, USC seems to have done very well on the recruiting uh, trail this uh, this spring. Uh, who are the top two 
in-state recruits that that would be on the top of uh, the board for USC. All right. Thanks, Larry, for that one. Uh, I, he's probably talking about uncommitted guys, I guess you would say. Um, well, I mean, if you're looking at, you know, just the top two guys that aren't committed to USC, at least, top two targets for them, I mean, it starts with Corey Foreman. He's the number one player in the country, you know, the defensive end out of Corona Centennial. He is an absolute beast, but he's committed to Clemson. Now, how do coronavirus concerns affect families and whether or not they want to send their kids away? How do things change just as we go forward? You know, there's a lot of question marks there as well with recruiting, and maybe players end up staying closer to home, or maybe there, there's some changes that just come along with, you know, thinking about the values that you're looking for in certain schools. So Corey Foreman is definitely the number one target, and I would say the number two target that's not committed would be Rayshon Davis, or who's not committed to USC is Rayshon Davis, who's also committed out of state to a different Tigers program, LSU. Um, so the linebacker from modern day, I think those are the two biggest uh, guys that aren't committed to USC that are still, that USC is still recruiting, but both of those guys are actually committed uh, to other schools right now. All right. Um, should we jump into some of the uh, questions from YouTube or Periscope or anything? Keely, what you got? What you guys got over there? Sure. Uh, let's go to questions from um, Rick Lampkins. We kind of already touched on this, but he says, did Alabama compete, complete all 15 spring practices? If so, doesn't that make the gap uh, with talent or experience much greater, larger for each roster? Yeah, I don't think they did. No, Alabama did not. There was, just, I think, like yeah. Coastal Carolina or somebody did like all fifteen practices. But mo I think most schools are in the like five to six. Like that's probably the average. Like you get five or six practices. So certainly more than USC got one unpadded practice. But um, I mean, there's some schools. Like that I said, are, you know, like I said, Alabama had, hadn't started. They were supposed to yeah. start, I believe, the, the Thursday or Friday when everything was pretty much shut down. So. No, no advantage there for, for them. If you want to say USC got an advantage from a non-padded practice, woo boy, one, one big practice there. Yeah, but like – To install a new defense. I think when we talked to Aaron Osmus, I mean, he really liked the fact that he had a year in his under his belt. Uh, look in the Pac-12, you know, you had Mel Tucker leave for Michigan State. Now Carl Durrell comes in there, and he's got to like yeah. – He didn't, you know – he didn't get to start spring practice. He didn't get any spring practices. Now they, they retained their strength coach. So Colorado has that advantage. That at least the strength coach has a, you know, uh, a relationship with the players, but you're bringing in new everything as far as like schemes go and you have zero time with them. So I think that's where the big disadvantage is going to be that. Yeah. Did Alabama get an extra practice? I mean, Alabama didn't get an extra practice, but some schools got a few extra practices. That's fine. But the real advantage is if you have your system in place, like you have for USC's offense, at least you had that already. Now, the defense didn't yeah. get that same opportunity, so you could argue on that side of the ball, USC has a disadvantage. But um, for schools with new head coaches that all new schemes are coming in and you have no practice time whatsoever, I think that's where the big disadvantages are going to be. Yeah, I will say, though, talking to that team source that told me about the, um, the food issues, uh, the source also said that there's a lot of stress on the team on the defensive side of the ball for guys who really wanted to use this spring to make a good impression on the new defensive coaches, guys who are kind of on the fringe, you know, lower on the depth chart. They were really eyeing this spring as an opportunity, as a fresh start uh, to make a name for themselves, kind of get uh, higher on the depth chart. And now that that's not the case, and now 
2020 is kind of up in the air, there's a lot of stress and pressure on certain players. And so they're kind of feeling it. So it's not only a disadvantage for coaches, new coaches, whatnot, it's a, it's a disadvantage for USC players who were hoping to make an impression on the new coaches as well. Yeah. Yeah, because one of the things is going to be if they're not able to practice, then the coaches, you know, or if you have a shortened amount of practice, you're going to look back at that old game tape, you know, see yeah. what they did last year and try to evaluate that as much as you can uh, versus, you know, what you could have seen during the spring with your own eyes and type thing. So if you're not – if you weren't in the rotation last year, then it's that much more difficult to make an impression. Yep. Yeah. We have a question from uh, Crank who says, can't USC sign the players up with a meal prep company? I think that's an interesting idea there. I don't know uh, what the NCAA would allow there because they're supposed to allow allow them to still be able to get whatever they would be able to get on campus. So if you were able to get tutoring, then you should be able to get online tutoring. If you were able to get, you know, uh, you know, if you have a meal plan, then I think they can provide food. It's kind of been a gray area. I haven't really seen a definitive answer on that. But I think that would be one of the ways that you would do it. But that's also you're looking at it and going, okay, what are the financials of this? Because schools already spend a ton of money on food. Food is the, one of the big, you know, big money uh, grabbers that isn't really seen a, as much as you may think. But they spend a bunch of money on every year for athletes. Yeah, I mean, I have a place right near my house that they prepare meals and stuff and you can do a plan where it's costs you like eight bucks a meal or that's not available for everybody i mean obviously so it might be for yeah. certain players but I, yeah i don't know the rules i have to try to find out it's, it's I, i've talked to different people and there just seems to be a lot of balls in the air they're not exactly sure what you can and can't do so another one of those things where it, this is just unprecedented so there's all these new issues and potential issues that have been coming up a question from Mark Watkins who says, are all conferences banning virtual workouts with a strength coach or is this another case of Larry Scott doing his best to put the Pac-12 at a competitive disadvantage? I, I read on a tweet and I don't remember where it was that the SEC, you could do those live virtual workouts and for whatever reason, the Pac-12, you couldn't. Um, I don't know why or the, um, the reasoning. I think we speculated on the Peristyle podcast and I asked someone at USC Athletic Department and they felt because of the, you know, you weren't going to be there in person that someone could get hurt. And I think you would argue, you know, at least having online instruction, you could watch what they're doing uh, online where you're allowed to send them a video of here's what you should do. But if you send them a video, you're not viewing what they're doing. Now you got a hundred players working out with you. It's probably not, you're not gonna be able to watch them all or whatever, but at least you could potentially like someone's doing that wrong. Like, Hey, you got to bend your knees this way or whatever. And um, you know, if you're just sending them a, an instructional video, you obviously can't do that. So I, yeah. I don't get it. I'm not sure why. And I don't know for sure, but I've read that like the SEC allows it. I don't, I haven't checked all the other conferences to see if that's specifically not allowed. Hmm. I think Smith that, said actually, I think that the, the workouts aren't permitted, but you can still do chalk talk and stuff, which is basically the same. You do film review and chalk talk, uh, uh, which is basically the same as the Pac-12. But I don't think virtual workouts are allowed for the SEC either. Jasper Smith says, "Is the if the season isn't played, the 2020 season, do you foresee any underclassmen still declaring early for the 2021 NFL draft?" That's I know. That's tough. Um, I think it would make it really difficult to do that unless you were. I mean, if you're at Amon Ross St. Brown, you probably could, right? Like you could see something like that. But uh, you know, it's without playing a season. 
I I think you're talking you're you're leaving early to go to the draft, and there's going to be an issue in this draft because you didn't. They're not going. They're going to draft a lot of players that they didn't get to do personal workouts with, pro days with, and things like that. I know a lot of the NFL teams. You're kind of risk averse. Are you really going to take a risk on a, a sophomore that you didn't get to see play his junior season and you hadn't seen play football for well over a year and you're going to take a chance drafting that player high? I I think the likelihood of something like that happening, unless it's just an absolute stud, um, yeah. you know, if it was Trevor Lawrence, they're like, okay, I feel pretty comfortable doing that. Like, so Trevor Lawrence, you know, he's going to go into his, if he doesn't get his junior year, would you still want to draft him? Yeah, I think, you know, guy won a national championship. Like, okay, I, I'll get that. Uh, you know, maybe an Amon Ross St. Brown, but for the regular player that would just be coming out early and could potentially be like a third round pick, I, I, I just, I think it's gonna be a lot tougher to do that. And the thing is, even the guys you might think of, the highest rated guys that, that might be eligible, maybe like a Pallia and Itiote, hasn't really had the, the big impact plays at USC yet. So he's a guy that you know, coming out of high school, you may yeah, you only got two years to play. Would he still be able to to make that impact to make the jump? But that hasn't happened yet. It just doesn't seem I'm on Ross St. Brown's the only guy that you really feel like in that class, just off the top of my head, uh, that you feel like, yeah, that's a guy that could potentially he's produced so much already in his first two years that uh, another year of production doesn't change too much for him. So I, I think that you're looking at who has already produced, and USC hasn't really had a ton of guys in that group that that have done that already. I don't. I mean, I mean, Elijah Griffin would be maybe the only other guy that you look at, and I still think he he needs to show a lot more yeah. on tape before he would be able to live up to where he could potentially be. Because that's the other thing. Not only that, hey, you've shown enough that you can get drafted, but is it the best move for you? Type of thing. Uh, you know, whether you come back and show that you're a complete player versus, hey, I've shown flashes. And I think it's the type of player USC really had doesn't really have that kind of roster at this moment in that class. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. We had a tweet from Steve who says, "How are the players working out at home?" I'm guessing most don't have home gyms. Uh, thanks and happy birthday to Keely and Shotgun. Yeah, so I if I did a three part series with uh, Aaron Osmus, you can go check that out on the site. But he basically put them into different categories. There was players that were going to have home workout stuff. Like an Amon Rossi Brown, his dad was Mr. Universe. Like he's got a home gym. And there's going to be players on the other end of the spectrum where they don't really have anything. And so they were, they were and then some guys would have maybe some dumbbells or a bench or something that you could do some things. And he basically has to set out workouts for all the different kind of, you know, whatever the players have, if it's body weight. Um, but he gave you different ideas. Like he, you can go to the park and do pull-ups on a uh, you know, he's like on a jungle gym, but now most of those are closed off anyway. You can't really touch those things, but a tree branch, whatever you want to do. He said you could push a car, put it in neutral and, and push a car around. So he was coming up with different ideas. I'm sorry about that. Different ideas for different players, depending on what they had available. In that sense, um, I believe someone on YouTube asked, which player has surprised you the most on social media with their workouts? I'm going to go with Justin Dietrich. He actually took the Aaron Office advice, pushing a car. It's crazy. Uh, and I, I feel like I was telling Chris Chavino, each day, Justin Dietrich looks more angry and more swole. I just like, by the time we're done, I was <laughs> he's going to just be like the Hulk or something. I don't know. So I would go with Justin Dietrich. He, he did the Mohawk too, right? He did the Mohawk mm -hmm. cut and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's my answer. I haven't seen a ton of there. Have you guys been watching? Have you seen a ton of the workouts there? I think some of the guys do them, but I'm not seeing like I a whole. Keep an eye out. Yeah. 
Yeah, I haven't been like actively searching them out or anything, but Jacob Lichtenstein's a guy that's caught my eye. Uh, you know, he looks to be in great physical condition. So if the calf injury is healed for him, then I think he's a guy just because of where he was at going into the injury and where, you know, kind of expected him to be last year. I think he could be a guy that that's not being talked about, but because, you know, the way he, he looks physically, it looks like he's in the best shape he's been in, that he could be a guy to, to make an immediate impact with a new coaching staff. So how do your wife shotgun? <laughs> She's cleaning up in the kitchen or something over there. <laughs> Ryan, do we still want some more rapid fire? Yeah, let's do some more rapid fire. Okay. Um, Crank also said, who slash what do you attribute the recruiting streak to? And then he had a snarky comment. He said, I don't think it can be Helton. I mean, I, I, I think it's just the just, new staff, right? Yeah. Staff is yeah. just doing a better job. I mean, that's just, there's more recruiters on the staff now than there were before they're very active you've also expanded the recruiting uh support team so i think all of that all that stuff mattered and when you had a bunch of coaches that just weren't called they wouldn't have been calling players during this time before that makes a difference and the only the only thing you can do right now is talk to players like you text them and call them and all those things and that's what the usc coaches are doing they wouldn't have been doing that a year ago at this time so that's what's going on in that sense, Ramon said, are these recruits the value add of a new staff or would some of them have come regardless of the staff? I think, I don't think you're going to get some of these players without the staff. So no, I, I think it's, the, I think the staff has, and you guys said before, this looks a lot more like a USD class than it did last year. And there's a reason for that. It's, it's the, the coaching staff. So I, to me, it's the coaching staff. That's why this is different. Shoddy, I, I, I think that, you know, that they would be able to recruit like this in a normal year. Let's, let's take away last year because it was such an abnormal year. But uh, I, I think that they're definitely doing a really good job. And they're, especially with the circumstances they have, you know, that it's been, that it has been on the rise the last two seasons. They've turned things around on the recruiting trail. And obviously, that's where you change things for the team going forward. Yeah. We have multiple questions on the same topic. Uh, Mitchell and Pete Sandoval. So Mitchell said, any chance they cancel non-conference games this year? Wouldn't mind not having to play Alabama. And then Pete Sandoval said, if the season is delayed, is there a possibility that the season gets pushed into December or January? And that's something we actually talked about on the Parasol podcast, correct, Mr. Abraham? Yeah, I mean, this it's like you said, we don't know if it's getting to the point where it looks like the only possibilities are cancel or delay. I think then you have to look at the delay seriously. But then that adds a, the, the, the complex the complexity of a college football schedule is a lot different than like an NFL schedule. And, uh, you know, so I think you'd ha probably have to start with if you're going to get rid of the non-conference games, then you almost have to go to every conference and say, you guys all go, you have these eight weeks, you go figure out who's the best in your conference and then maybe have like an expanded, uh, expanded playoff where every conference is represented and maybe the best group of five or something. And, and you make some kind of tournament out of that just by, but I, I mean, that'd be weird. Maybe you could delay things, but you also have the, you know, the, the class schedule and everything to kind of go along with that. So they don't really like, you know, delaying the football season, but if you want to have it and it's such a big moneymaker for, you know, college football and the athletic departments across the country. I think you have to be flexible and try to look at all the options. Um, but it, if you get to the point where things are going to have to be just delayed, even by like a month, I think it's going to really mess things up and you might have to completely scrap everything and just 
have the conferences, fit, you know, have every, you know, make a new schedule, only conferences, and then come out with the winner of each conference and let them play each other, something like that. Because I, I just think the complexity of the college football schedule, if it's going to not start on time, it's really going to be messed up, and you're going to have to re, you know, overhaul everything. If they decide to make changes to the schedule, everything's going to be on the board. This is similar to you know you talked you talked earlier about Dan Weber's article about uh, the influenza of 1918 and how that affected the schedule. Things changed. I think that that's what you're going to look at. You're going to say, okay, you get to a certain point. All right, we need to play a shortened season, or hey, we need to just push back the season. I think those things will all be on the table uh, when the time just becomes that it's evident that hey, we can get back on the football field and play. And the question is. Are there fans in the stands? All those things will be on the table, but it's just so early right now in in the midst of this virus and the way it's spread that we just really don't know. I think all those yeah. things are possibilities, though, going forward. I think that, that the commissioners of the conferences will consider those things. I think that you'll see, you know, if, if for some reason there's no, you know, everything has cleared up on the West Coast, but in the southeast or on in the northeast or something, it's still an issue. You might see just conferences playing, and yeah. you just have a conference schedule, and maybe there's not a national championship. Maybe it goes back to old school. You know, you don't have you don't have non-conference games. You go back to the poll decides who wins at the end of the season, type of thing. Uh, and it just depends on you know what kind of travel is going to be allowed, how the spread is kind of taking place still. You know, if things are contained in certain areas but not others. There's a lot of variables that still will be determined on this, and that will help uh, figure out what the schedule will look like as well. But I think a lot of things will be on the table once those things clear up and are figured out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have multiple questions. Uh, one from Hunter who says, are there any teams in the conference looking to have something of a super team in 2023 with an extra year, an extra possible year of eligibility or a strong incoming class last year? That's interesting. I haven't looked at all the different rosters. Um, you know, I think any team that's like a senior laden team that you would have some advantages there because if those, all those players were allowed to come back, um, you know, last year, USC, what had like seven, eight seniors, it wouldn't, would have been that big of a deal. But if you're a team that's, uh, you know, senior laden and, and, and the problem in the PAC 12, there's a lot of talent that got, you know, for like Utah this past year, like if Utah was able to keep their squad and, you know, get one more year. I think that would have been, you know, that you could have said that was a big deal. You got, you know, Moss and Huntley and all those guys. Um, but a lot of people are lo have lost a lot of, uh, you know, Herbert and that offensive line for Oregon last year. Like, it, I think those years you would have been better off for those schools coming back. I'm not sure right now if there's like a team in the Pac-12, not, not off the top of my head, that's like a whole bunch of seniors and they look like they're going to be, you know, great. And if they all get to come back, it'd be kind of a super team if that's what the question means. Yeah, I mean, Utah would have been a prime example of how that would have worked. But again, that that's way far in advance, and that's kind of saying that you get the same thing that happened with the spring sports, with the fall sports, and they all get a year of eligibility back. I think you're just a, a long way away from that happening. But Utah this year, like you said, they had a ton of seniors on that, that team, you know, older group, but they also brought in one of their best recruiting classes, if not their best. I think it was, know, yeah. Rank-wise. Uh, you know, they, they really took advantage of USC being down and really uh, went out and dominated the state of Utah itself and really had a strong recruiting class this year. So if they were able to combine those two forces of last year's senior group and, you know, an incoming group, then you could see that. But again, like I said, long way away, 
Yeah. The NCAA would have to uh, give that extra year of eligibility to the, the fall uh, athletes. And that's if a season is, is canceled as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Utah had nine guys in the combine. So yeah, if they could have brought all those guys back, that would have been pretty impressive. <laughs> you know, Rapid fire people, rapid fire. Sorry. Uh, Mario on Periscope said, should SC go get a bigger running back as their second back or a smaller, fast running back? Hmm. Traditionally in the air raid, you've had smaller scat backs that can really burst with speed. So when you, when you create a lane, then you can be able to, to make a team pay. So it's not just a 10-yard gain. It's a 20, it's a 50, it's an 80-yard run uh, that can just slice through a defense when – you know, they're trying to overplay the outside, you know, the quick screens and different things like that, and you open up a hole in the middle. So that's traditionally been the case. But Mike Jinks also said when he first got on campus, I've never had a running back this big, referring to all of USC's running backs. So, and you wouldn't necessarily say, you wouldn't look at Stephen Carr and Vine, but like, that's a big back right there, like you would Marquis Step. So there's there's different ways to go about it. But traditionally in air raid offenses, scab backs have been the, the way that uh, teams have really attacked defenses. Kay on YouTube says, how does this dead period affect JT Daniels prep to compete for the starting role? For for JT or? Yeah, for I guess JT Daniels. I mean, it gives him more time to recover. It, it is interesting because, you know, for someone like JT Daniels, it's nice that maybe you're not going to fall behind as far as practices go. Well, you'll be able to recover. And maybe by the time that the team's allowed to practice, he'll be healthy. But you're also you're you're not the starter. If he was the starter, that would have been one thing. He, you know, Keaton Slovis is the starter. He needed to be able to compete against Keaton Slovis more than he would now. So I think maybe if the season got canceled, that would potentially be better for him than he would have an entire offseason when they could practice where he could try to fight for it. But as of now, if you're, you know, any I think this was this came up with like the Chicago Bears. Uh they signed Nick Foles and you got uh, Mitch Trubisky already there. They said it's going to be an open competition. Well, uh, there, is there going to be a, ch a chance to compete? Are you going to be able to do that? So the incumbent, I think, has the advantage. And to, it, for me, it's Keaton Slovis is the incumbent. So the less practices, the more of an opportunity I think it is for Slovis, even though it's more time to recover for Daniels. Shotgun doesn't agree. All right. I completely disagree <laughs> with both of you on this. For one, I, I don't think it matters. For, you said that you think it's better for JT because he can heal. He's going to be healing regardless, whether they had spring practices now or not. Well, it's not like he was just going to, like, he, what? Well, okay. Go ahead. Given USC's history with guys having a pitch count, you never know what could happen if spring happened. And JT Daniels is very uh, competitive. He might have pushed his knee farther than he should have. I'm just saying, USC doesn't have a great track record. This is so that he will not have any leg injuries on campus or anything like that. That's my only point. So the most he was going to be able to do this spring was going to be seven on seven. Or throw in the receivers, throw in routes. You know what he's going to do in the backyard? He's going to throw to his dad. He's going to throw routes. So I don't think there's any difference there. So I disagree with you, Keely. And then Ryan, I also <laughs> yeah. disagree with you because this helps him because Keith Slovis can't get better in the offense. JT Davis wasn't going to be able to take full-team snaps. He wasn't going to be able to do much this spring. So why does it hurt him? It's not like the Nick Foles situation is not the same because those guys are both healthy and would be competing. JT Daniels would be falling behind because he can't practice the same uh, rate that Keaton Slovis can in the spring. So this actually, I think, helps him stay closer to Keaton Slovis 
than if there was a spring practice going on. Keaton Slovis was completely healthy. Yeah, I would just say that the less opportunities to do anything before the season starts, the more likely you're going to stick with what got you there. Uh, I think you just need more time. They needed the summer workouts. They needed JT Daniels to be like, wow, he's really mastered this offense, even, you know, throwing seven on seven in, in the summer, things like that. I think those would have been those summer workouts that the coaches aren't allowed to watch. Right. But you, if, if, if he was out there running things well and the players knew it and they were like, man, JT looks great. Like, I think all that stuff would, would be helpful. And just being away from it. Yes. I mean, it, it, those are opportunities where he wasn't gonna be able to practice, but the less prep you're going to have for the season, the more likely you're just going to go with the guy that got you there. So it, it wasn't going to be easy for JT Daniels anyway. Uh, I, I just don't think this is going to be any easier not having any like summer workouts or things like that, that, you know, if those potentially are gone. That's fair. I think it's a definite advantage for him. All right. Well, anyway, what we got? Greg Miller says, uh, <laughs> what USC team was better 2005 or 2008? I think someone put in there 2005 offense was definitely better and the 2008 defense was definitely better. I would go with that. But overall, I'd still say I think 2005 was a better team. But Interesting. Shotgun, I defer to Ryan on this. I defer to the guy who covered the team. Yeah, as do I. I was in fifth grade. Uh, there's a question specifically for Shotgun from OG King one who says, assuming USC gets Zaire Williams to commit and they do not make a deep run in the NCAA tournament, is it time for a new basketball coach? That is a, that's a lot of assumptions. That's a big <laughs> hypothetical that one of the top players in the country is going to choose USC to begin with, and then they're going to be bad and not make a run in the tournament. Like, the, there's so many variables and factors that would go into that, you know, if the basketball season is even played, because if we get to a football season, it doesn't get played. We're going to get to play basketball. A lot of things still going on there. Um, and, and so that's way too early to, to try to digest and figure out USC has been recruiting great, put out a piece today about how Infield's recruiting classes have been during his time at USC, so check that one out. Um, but this offseason, they've done really good, bringing in three grad transfers to re uh, to redevelop that ro roster with as many guys as they were losing. They still got a couple roster spots available. If you read the War Room, looking for Zaire Williams and Josh Christopher, are two guys USC still trying to recruit, still trying to get on campus uh, in the fall, and we'll see uh, what they can do as far as when those commitments are made, who they end up choosing. Another topic that we talked about on the Parasol podcast with Dan on Tuesday, Mateo on YouTube says, does each conference decide its own coronavirus response? Yeah, we've seen that. Uh, we've seen the conferences all have different. Um, we haven't heard much lately, and but you know that the athletic directors are, are meeting every morning uh, with Larry Scott on a conference call, and I think that's happening in most conferences. So, each conference is trying to figure out things for themselves. There's no, like when you talk about the White House meeting with the athletic, I mean, with the uh, commissioners of all the major sports, uh, I was talking with someone about that, like, you know, why is college football not involved in that? And uh, because there really isn't, there's not like a, a czar of college football. There's not like a leader. There's, you would have to bring like Larry Scott and all the different commissioners. Or are you going to bring Mark Emmert? Like he's going to be more worried about Olympic sports. Like you really wanted someone to represent college football and maybe college basketball because that's what's big not the NCAA like they don't really so it's just it kind of shows the lack of leadership in uh in you know in, in college football because you don't have that person that's kind of running things so we need that we need like a college football czar really someone that's running this major sport and uh that's you know 
because we don't have something like that, they didn't really have a, a spot at the table uh, meeting with the White House talking about the future of athletics in this country. I would just say that I'm free right now because of the coronavirus. Be the czar? Everyone being quarantined. <laughs> I, I can take over if you guys need. How are you supposed to be the life coach, though, Shotgun? Hey, can I, I can do, I've always had multiple jobs. Okay, yeah. that's very true. Uh, uh, Big T says, I thought the NCAA instituted a dead period on recruiting until the 15th, but I see a lot of movement in recruiting for both football and basketball. What are the coaches able to actually do? Yeah. So with a dead period, it just means no one is allowed to visit campus. Coaches are allowed to make off-campus visits. So you have no in-home visits, you have no stopping by schools, and you know you have no one coming to campus for visits during a dead period. Obviously, at this point, no one can do that anyways. So it just makes sense for everything to be a dead period. Uh, but that's the difference there. Uh, spe specifically, coaches can reach out and still do electronic messaging with coach with players and stuff. Uh, so you see that a lot more, which is why there's still recruiting going on. They can reach out and tweet to them and do th different things like that. I believe during a dead period, I would have to check on this, that coaches aren't allowed to call players themselves, uh, but players can call coaches at any time. Um, so I think that's the difference between a quiet period and a dead period uh, there. But I would have to check that one again. So sorry for not having that answer off the top of my head. But the biggest difference is just no visits, yeah. in-person in contact. And then two more rapid fire. Uh, they're off topic ones. Okay, Mark well. Watkins says, did Carol Baskin kill her husband? Yes. I haven't seen Tiger King, so I can't respond. Tiger King was awesome. And yes, she <laughs> definitely killed him. Like, if you ever watch it, it's just like you're waiting for a good guy. You want someone to be good. Like, oh, this guy. Oh, he seems like he's cool. Like, oh, he's like the uh, the the up and coming tiger trader guy. And he like, there's other guys big. Like, oh wow, he's terrible. And then you're like, oh, the other trader, the big trainer, he's really good. Like, no man, he's awful. Oh, she's the one that's trying to save the tiger. She's a no, she's terrible. Like, they're all terrible. Like, it's it's the weirdest show. And but she definitely killed her husband, hundred percent. I did not find it very interesting. I watched the whole thing, but was not that into it. Um, it's just some some backwoods Southern people, and they they pick the worst people from the Southern backwoods, and then it becomes a reality show. The only part that I found interesting was at the very end when it becomes a you know there was a little bit of crime involved, and it's okay. Is this a true true crime or not? The true crime parts I enjoyed, which included the Carol Baskin portion. Yeah. The rest of it was just true reality TV. But there's good, like the, the good people were like the guy that was like the Walmart greeter that became his campaign manager. Like he seemed like a legit dude. The guy that was like missing the legs seemed like a good guy. And the woman that had her arm bitten off or whatever, like she seemed like she was like the smartest of all of them. You know, like those are the people you were kind of rooting for in this. But the main characters were all awful people. I couldn't even tell if you're making this up. I'm not making it up. No, <laughs> like this, it, it is wow. crazy. Yeah. Did you like the, the woman that got her? I forget her name. The one that got her arm bit off. Like she seemed very sensible. She was. She was. Keely. He. She was back at work five days later. Like. Wow. Yeah. Like insane. Well and she totally. Uh, Ronnie, she Ronnie lauded her her hand. Like they were like, she, like she could have like had surgery and it would take a long time to recover. And they're like, nah, lop it off. You know, like seriously, like it's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Well, on that note, I'm going to go to our final question. It's from Coley, who says, uh, rapid fire for Keely, what classic movie have you seen? Casablanca, no. Blade Runner, no. Rudy, yes, I've seen Rudy. So there you go. For our Notre Dame fan, I've seen Rudy. You watched a Notre Dame movie. 
Well, of course. <laughs> Hasn't seen Varsity Blues, but has seen Rudy. You should see it's that during classic. quarantine. Yeah. Okay, I'll add all those to my list. Are you guys give give have me you, a f- the better question is have you wa- actually watched any classic movies during the quarantine yet? Because you I said you were Air- going to. I watched Airplane last night. So how about that? Did you like it? <laughs> it was pretty good. It's my roommate's favorite movie. So I, I always like watching things with people who enjoy it because they make it like funnier. So it was good a good experience all around. Yeah. Do you guys have a favorite it's stream? A terrible time to stop sniffing glue. Yeah, yes. exactly. Do you guys have a favorite stream right now? Like I'm I'm doing Ozark season three, loving that. Uh, I did Narcos Mexico season two. Uh, that was really good too. But is there something you guys are? What are you watching? I'm watching something. I just got Disney Plus, so I just I just watch animated movies a ton. I watched Onward <laughs> last night. That was really good. Okay. Yeah, I just went into Disney Plus, so I rewatched Mulan, which is my favorite movie. But I I've been jumping around. Haven't gotten into a new series yet. All right. Cool. Mm-hmm. And you had one more? Is that or that was it? That was it. Okay. Someone said, "Truly, you can't be serious." Sure. I am, and don't call me truly. <laughs> Look at Keely. Very nice. Look at me. Movie reference. I'm, in, I'm impressed. All right. Well, sorry for the uh, again the technical issues. We'll try to work on those. But uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know why. Uh, we lost Keely and Shotgun for a little while, but we got them back. So we got the streams back. Uh, for Facebook users, we'll upload the video there uh, and uh, put it up for you guys. But thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, Keely, Shotgun, everyone out there, be safe. Stay home. Just do it. Let's, let's knock this do thing it. out. Get it over with. Get college football back. So do your part, which means don't spread the virus. So we don't. that's all we want to do. So hope you guys enjoyed this edition of Tunnel Vision. Thanks for tuning in and we will talk to you next time.